This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, Vancouver is eliminated, and by Saturday night, we could have our final seedings in the NLL West. Steve Govett gets his man as he named Patrick Merrill head coach and general manager of the San Diego Seals. Colorado goes 1-1 one and one as Stephen Keogh drops 12, and there's still nothing decided in the East. All that more on OTCB. I am an What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, NLL Radio, and iTunes. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thanks for stopping by on a Tuesday, or maybe whenever else you're listening later on in the week, or further calendar days down the way. You can get a hold of me here at the show uh, two simple ways, at Off the Crossbar on Twitter, or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. No spoilers, I have yet to start Season 4 of Peaky Blinders, so please don't email me or DM me with your thoughts on Season 4. And I'm definitely speaking directly to you, Emerson, from Lack Sports. We have to have a talk, my friend. You and I, Emerson. we got to catch up. Um, if you haven't watched Peaky Blinders, uh, I highly recommend it. It's a good Netflix series. Um, and those of you wondering, uh, the debate between, quote, poor boy hat and newsboy hat, that the kids on Relax had last week. John Grant Jr. was wearing a Peaky Blinders hat, none of the former. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, we can focus on what the heck is going on in the National Lacrosse League. Well, we know a couple things. Vancouver is out. Calgary will finish third in the West. Saskatchewan could clinch number one overall with a win Saturday against the Colorado Mammoth. That's pretty much all we know. And with four weeks remaining in the National Lacrosse League regular season, just one and a half games separates first through fifth in the NLL East, so still plenty to be decided. And with just three games on tap this weekend, we may not get much more clarity as we move along. Just three games, as mentioned, Colorado at Saskatchewan Saturday, and then two Sunday games, Calgary at New England, Toronto at Georgia, and it was originally going to be Calgary-New England as your Twitter game of the week, but much like they do in the National Football League for like Sunday Night Football and games later on in the year that have a little more playoff importance, Toronto and Georgia is a massive Eastern matchup as both those teams sit at 7-7, and a half game back of first place tied Rochester and Buffalo. So your Twitter game of the week this week will be down live in Georgia. But there were four games on the weekend this past week 17 in the National Lacrosse League, and there were some dandies. Uh, Actually, all four games were quite entertaining games for what they were. Colorado and Toronto were fairly close. Colorado probably pulled off a first ever in the National Lacrosse League as they allowed zero goals from the offense of the Toronto Rock. Zero. Rob Hellier, Brett Hickey, Adam Jones, nothing. Dan Taylor, nothing. McArdle, nothing. The offense got all of two points, and it came on Challen Rogers' second goal of the game, a back-to-backer, as Toronto would score four straight goals in transition before Rogers. Got a five-on-five goal with assists to Reinhold and McArdle, the only two O guys to get a point all game long. The first four Toronto Rock goals, unassisted. Latrell Harris, Hostrauser, Cree, and then Harris again. It most likely is a National Lacrosse League record for an offense not to score any goals. But that's not what you kind of have to focus on. There were, obviously, no, there was no Tom Schreiber. He is expected and hopefully back this weekend. And Adam Jones was basically on baby watch the entire game as his wife Lauren was due any minute. Um, I'm not sure if they've had their baby since. Fingers crossed everything is going well if they have. 
But that offense just seems to be sputtering. And we all know they're, what, now two and four without Schreiber? Definitely would be in consideration for MVP, and seeing as the lack of production that Toronto has had without him, he probably could still be in contention, but generally that doesn't go the way of the voting. But impressively enough was that transition game from the Toronto Rock. Harris, Hostrauser, and Chown Rogers were fantastic. Harris, I believe both of his goals came off face-offs. Rogers, was, one of his was a transition. Same with Hostrauser, same with Brad Cree. And when you can get those goals, usually it can spark your team. When the D guys are chipping in goals, usually it sparks your offense and they get a little fired up and everybody on the bench gets charged up. That wasn't there for the Toronto Rock, and I'm not sure why. That offense just doesn't seem to have the mojo it once had. And it'll be interesting to see how that team recovers if and when Tom Schreiber is back in the lineup. They would love to have him in the lineup this weekend as they take on Georgia in a very, very big game. Tiebreakers are going to become very important in the Eastern Division as we play these final four weeks. But for Colorado, they started the week off on a high note. A big 11-7 win, get some house money before they got to go down to Roch Vegas, take on the Nighthawks. And it was the start of a heck of a weekend for Stephen Keogh. Chipped in two goals and assists on Friday night. And then he dropped seven and two when the team went down to Rochester. Noble flips it on over as Keogh will give it to Vanesh back to Keogh. Shooting, he scores. Stephen Keogh. Just unreal how Stephen Keogh has just been able to kill Rochester tonight. Number seven, this time on the power play. The defense by Sid Smith was actually pretty good. Sid Smith got his stick right up in the shooting lane, and Stephen Keogh just really just overpowered it. That was Stephen Keogh's seventh at the time. It gave Colorado a 14-13 lead, only to see Rochester score the final three goals, two from Austin Shanks, bookending a Cody Jamison game winner. And unfortunately, it's a, it's a fortunate, unfortunate. Unfortunately, I was didn't get to watch a lot of that game because it was alumni night in Rochester. And so I was able to catch up with a lot of old teammates and a lot of old fans and people I hadn't seen in a number of years since the times when I played in Rochester back in 02 and 03. And so I was mixing and mingling with a lot of guys and shaking hands and kissing babies, as they say. And so I didn't get to see a lot of it. But what I did see was a great lacrosse game between two clubs that are playing some really good lacrosse. And you may think, well, a 16-14 game isn't really teens playing great lacrosse. Sure, Matt Vince and Dylan Ward both got pulled. Um, Angus Goodleaf and Steve Fryer both started the second half. But that's okay. These things happen. Doesn't mean a team is playing bad if their goaltender is giving up goals. Yes, goalies would love to stop everything. Doesn't happen. That's why they have backups. And Fryer and Goodleaf came in and did a great job. The offenses were just on another level. And that was great for fans to see, especially with so many great alumni in the house and Micah Kersey being inducted into the Nighthawks Hall of Fame. I would love to see a best two of three between the Nighthawks and the Mammoth. I think that would be one heck of a series. Those two teams battled all game long. Every time I thought Colorado was going to seal it and run away with it and be able to hold on, Rochester was able to claw back. And it pained me, but also gave me a bit of a smile to see the old team win, but I really wanted to see the Mammoth win two straight to keep pace with the Saskatchewan rush because now they have a lot of work ahead of them. We'll kind of get into some of the playoff situations and, and breakers in the East Division a little bit later, but for the West, uh, it all comes down to this Saturday night, and Colorado really needed that win to take some pressure 
off of this game this weekend, but we've been knowing for a long time that this April 7th game between the Rush and the Mammoth was going to be the decider for first in the division. If Saskatchewan wins, it's in the books. If the Mammoth win, they keep that slim sliver of hope alive for the number one overall overall seed in the West. Essentially, they need to win out. Saskatchewan needs to lose three of four. Don't really see that happening. It could happen. Very, very unlikely, though. So, we kind of already know how the West standings are going to unfold. And what it leaves us is something we've seen many years in the past, which is Colorado v. Calgary in a one-game playoff. And there have been some great games in that series, unfortunately for the Mammoth and their fans. It hasn't necessarily gone their way when they face the Roughnecks in the postseason. Good thing is for Colorado, they've won two of three with Calgary this year. They're playing great lacrosse. They'll have home floor. They're the better team, in my opinion. Take it for what you will. And it should set up one heck of a contest unless the strange completely happens and Colorado is able to get the number one seed and Calgary has to go to Saskatchewan for the West semifinal. But we still will wait to see what happens Saturday night because that game Saturday, I, I we talked about them switching the Twitter game to that Eastern game of Toronto and Georgia because those two teams are battling it out. I'd have loved to see them switch that game to Saskatchewan and Colorado. That game is going to be wild. It's going to be in front of a packed house. It's going to be the top two teams in the entire National Cross League. We get to go down to Georgia and see two West or sorry, two East Coast teams battling out to try and get into that number one, number two, or even number three spot and avoid dropping further away from the divisional leaders. The other game that was on schedule this past weekend that we've talked uh, going over the games, uh, Buffalo and New England. And this was a game that I really didn't know how it was going to go. I, I thought Buffalo would take it, and they did. And it wasn't for a lack of trying on New England's part, but whenever you get a goose egg in a quarter, it's never really going to help. Sure, they only allowed one, but slow start in the first, no goals in the third, really hurt New England's chances in that game. And the Bandits continue to score highlight real goals, but they also continue to get great performances From the man who most likely and could be your NLL Rookie of the Year, Josh Byrne. Jones, the most recent to score for the Bandits. Over to Josh Byrne. Frazier to Evans. Feet pass out in front. Byrne with a shot. He's on fire. Reminiscent of Chase Frazier's goal earlier in the first quarter. Josh Byrne's just posts up. And Sean Evans just feathers a pass right to his stick. And this one's a one-timer beating Aaron Bowl to the far pipe. Byrne ended up with four goals, two assists to add to his rookie totals. And he is, in my opinion, ahead of Courier and ahead of Withers. But there is a dark horse emerging. And that's Austin Shanks of Rochester. And you heard me talk about he scored uh, two of the last three goals for the Nighthawks in that win over Colorado, and had Austin Shanks played as many games as Josh Byrne, it probably would be a closer race. Byrne averaging 3.8 points per game, Shanks 3.58 points per game. So they're actually quite close. Unfortunately, Shanks has only played 12 compared to Byrne's 15. So so if you just do the simple math of 15 times 3.58, there'd only be about four-point difference between Shanks and Byrne for that top rookie scoring. So while many people have Josh Byrne as the rookie of the year, you can't not consider what Austin Shanks has done 
over the last few games and the body of work of both Jake Withers and of Zach Courier because those guys, all four of those rookies have been phenomenal this year. And when you think that Withers is leading the National Cross League in faceoff percentage and faceoff wins and Courier is leading the National Cross League in loose balls, those are two stats you usually don't see rookies leading. And it's wonderful that that is actually the case because it continues to prove that year in and year out, the rookies are better than they were the year before. And a lot of that has to do with the bodies of work that they're putting in at the college ranks and the, and the level of athleticism that these young guys are coming into the league with every single year. Speaking of Withers, how good was he this weekend? He was 25 of 34 on the faceoff draw against the Colorado Mammoth. And Tim Edwards has been one of the top draw guys all year long, and Withers absolutely owned him. Owned him. And sure, you couldn't take into a fact that the Night Ox, or sorry, the Mammoth played the night before and they had the long bus trip. They didn't get into Rochester until 2 o'clock in the morning, all that stuff. Ball team and winning balls on faceoff is a group effort. And Jake Withers did all that he could to make sure his group was in the right positions for that loose ball. And unfortunately, Edwards and the Mammoth just didn't have an answer. And one concern that I have for the Colorado Mammoth is giving up goals on faceoffs, especially right after they've scored a couple and have a bit of momentum. It's happened the last three or four games. And just look at the Toronto game. The number of goals that were scored on Colorado off of faceoffs by transition guys. And it happened again in color or in Rochester. Withers' first goal came six seconds after Eli McLaughlin scored. It happens far too often for the Colorado Mammoth. And it definitely has to be a concern for Coach Pat Coyle because, as I said, when you're up against draw guys that are dominant, whether it be a Jake Withers or Tyler Burton, sometimes Courier's taking them, or Jay Thornbear, even teams that have to defend against Tim Edwards, maybe you start going three back. Maybe you have to adjust your game plan. One thing I noticed quite often uh, when I was able to just sit back and watch some of the, the Mammoth games this weekend is that they're not leaving a safety valve back often enough. And what I mean by that is when you see a draw, and especially when the draw takes more than just that split second for somebody to pop it out, when it's a scrum at the dot and eight of ten guys are right around the, the dot, Colorado often doesn't have that guy just kind of lagging back in case the ball pops out. And what that leaves is basically two-thirds of the floor wide open for a guy to pick it up and go down uncontested. And even if they are contested, the D guy's having to play catch-up because the O guy is running at them in transition. And it's tough to take an angle, and you get plays like Brad Cree's goal or Latrell Harris's goal or the Withers' goal the next night. And it's constantly been happening to the Colorado Mammoth. It happened in the Vancouver game. And it's not like I'm exposing any sort of unknown weakness. It's blatantly there on the tape. And Tim Edwards, like I said, one of the top draw guys in the league, just needs sometimes a little help from his ball team to either back him up defensively or come up with that loose ball on the other side and get it down on the offensive zone. Because they do that quite often. But there's just that sometimes that loss of focus and floor wherewithal to keep the guys in front of you and not let them get behind you. And I've noticed that the last few games. So Withers was phenomenal. But Stephen Keogh is having a phenomenal year offensively. He was in and out of the lineup to start. Um, he was a little bit banged up. He had some nagging injuries. Uh, he was alternating with Ryan Lee as Colorado was trying to figure out 
who was going to be the next righty to step into that lineup along with Noble and Jacob Rue? Well, Stephen Keogh has really solidified his name in that spot. And all goes back to that game against Saskatchewan, the 13-10 loss. Um, he had six points in that contest. And ever since that game, he has not gone without a point except for one. And that was the game against Buffalo after he had dropped six, including the game winner against Georgia. And now he's only three goals, sorry, four goals shy of a career high. And he's a little bit way ways away for points in a season. And with just three games left, it might be a little tough for him to get to his career best of 71 that he did back in 2014 with Rochester. But he's most likely going to have a career year in goals. And probably one of his most prolific offensive seasons that he can remember. And when you watch Stephen Keogh play, you just have to be enamored by what he does because if you've ever picked up his lacrosse stick and tried to actually throw with it, you'd probably break your toe. He has a massive bag in his stick, a strong shooter across the top, but he has some of the strongest wrists in the league. And when he goes like a bull in a china shop into the double team, teams struggle to get that ball away from him. And he keeps his head down, he keeps his weight going forward, but he has this ability to be able to step back, create space, and fire over the top and find any part of the net. And his short side bouncer might be one of the grossest shots I've ever seen because I just don't know how he's able to get it from way up high to down low so quick and then back up in the top of the net. It's uncanny. And it's been a part of his game for most of his career. And every time he scores, he grabs a little turf and just rubs it in his face and says, oh, yeah. And I love it. And I remember when the Mammoth brought him in last year, I was stoked because that gritty grinder mentality is what that team needed at the time. And I think he's starting to find that niche. And he's, But more importantly, he's understanding that he doesn't have to always be the bull. He can be the matador and set guys up. And he's starting to do that as well. And when you can get him to be a feeder as well, because now he's starting to draw double teams and you get guys cutting backside or off-ball cuts, it makes that offense that much more dynamic. And those are the types of players that make teams really integral. And it kind of reminds me of their very different styles of player. But two weeks ago, when Curtis Knight was reactivated by the rush and put into the roster, and everyone was always already wondering what Derek Keenan was going to do, and they instead of sitting Dan Dawson, which many may have thought, they sat instead they sat Marty Dinsdale. Dinsdale is a Keo type player. Again, they may not have the same body type, may not be able to grow the same facial hair, but they play the same style of game. They're always working off ball. They're always fighting for loose balls. And they play that grinder mentality. Every team has to have that guy. And it surprised me when Dinsdale sat two weeks ago against Rochester. And as a result, well, maybe not a direct correlated result, but Rochester beat the rush on that night. And I truly feel that missing Dinsdale was a big part of that. It'll be interesting to see what kind of lineup Derek Keenan puts out this weekend against the Mammoth coming off a bye week. But I'm super excited for that game Saturday. I hope you are too because it's the only game on Saturday night. It's the marquee matchup of a three-game weekend in the NLL with two being on Sunday. And with everything that's on the line, I expect both teams to come out firing. And unfortunately for the Mammoth, they really haven't been able to figure out the puzzle that is the Saskatchewan rush. However, there's lots of game film of Rochester doing it. 
Buffalo found a way. Other teams have found a way to beat this very potent rush club. And maybe it's just about time for the Mammoth to be able to get over that hump and forget about that Rochester loss and move forward because they have three big games left, Saskatchewan and then at home against Toronto and New England to end the season. And if the loss to Saskatchewan happens this weekend and everything is all settled, you really want to make sure that this club goes into the playoffs very healthy. And I think that's what you're going to see Calgary do. Obviously, they don't want to give guys too much rest, don't want to have them sitting out too many games, but health and freshness is important going into a playoff run, especially when the semifinals and finals within the division are just one game. So Saturday night, buckle up, lacrosse fans. The other major news, actually the major news that's come out this week, and I started hearing rumblings about it over the weekend while I was in Toronto. People started mentioning that they might have heard rumors of who was it going to be, and people were starting to leak ideas of who the GM and coach was going to be. I did get confirmation on the weekend, and even though my good buddy Patrick Merrill was unable to text me back because he was on the cone of silence. The rumors were true. And the announcement was made today by President of the Seal, Steve Govett, who apparently had to resort to a childhood game of guess who to find his GM and head coach. But I couldn't be happier, and I couldn't be more excited for the opportunity that's coming Pat Merrill's way because it is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity and a fantastic choice for the man who was going to lead the Seals into the National Lacrosse League. If you don't know, Pat Merrill was a former number one overall pick in the National Lacrosse League. He's won Champions Cup. He's won Minto Cups. He's won Man Cups. There pretty much isn't a trophy this guy hasn't won. And there probably won't be a single guy on that roster that won't want to run through a wall for him. Patty and I were teammates at Mercyhurst. That's where we first crossed paths. And from that moment, I knew that he was going to be a great mind in the lacrosse world. He had a wonderful 15-year career in the National Lacrosse League with stops in New York, Toronto, Orlando, back to Toronto. Hardworking, tenacious, determined, but also one of the nicest guys you will ever meet. Comes from a great family, very professional, well-educated, but most importantly, loves the game of lacrosse. And as mentioned, he wasn't able to text me when I had asked him when I had heard about the rumors, but he finally got back to me on Monday. It mentioned that the announcement was going to be made on Tuesday, so in between media jumps that he had to do in San Diego, I was able to catch up with the new head coach and general manager. And when we started talking, just talking about the whole media circus and everything that's going on on a very whirlwind day. Yeah, it's been uh, it's a little overwhelming and and definitely uh, pretty hectic at the same time. And uh, it's been great. You know, the the SEAL staff has been really uh, welcoming and, and helpful and as well as, uh, you know, all the people here are pretty excited about the team. And so uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. Obviously, the conversation with Steve Govett um, have been positive ones, but how long have you been in talk with him about this opportunity to take control of the newest National Lacrosse League club? Yeah, well, um, the, the conversations have probably been going on for at least uh, the last, you know, three or four months. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of when they got a little bit more... Uh, more serious and then and then um, you know obviously there's I think there were quite a few other people that were interested in the job so um, it really kind of like I said it really started to get um, um, you know real I guess the last mm-hmm. the, the last month or so 
when when his phone number first showed up on your phone, were you a little surprised? Um, yeah, I, I would say so. Maybe maybe a little bit surprised, but you know, some other teams that started kicking the tires as well around mm-hmm. that time. So I, you know, I it was uh, you know I was definitely excited to see his name pop up. That's for sure when he called. And and so now that it, that it's official. Has it set in yet that you're now going to be a, not only just a head coach but a GM in the best lacrosse league there is? Uh, no pressure, right? Yeah, that's, none. That's no pressure thing. whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it hasn't quite set in yet. Um, obviously, I've uh, it's been you know leading up to the announcement, it's been a bit anxious, a bit of an anxious time, and and mm-hmm. uh, just trying to gather my thoughts and talk through things with my own family and things like that. So. Um, but you know, I, for me, I mean, this is this is my dream job, and I'm so fortunate and grateful to be, you know, in this position. And um, so, I'm just looking forward to getting started and uh, and getting to work. Obviously, so having known for a bit, you've obviously kind of started to put some wheels in motion um, with the coaching staff. Steve Govett said he's, that's going to be announced uh, at a later date, but that's sort of in place. But what's what's the first main step for you um, as the general manager of this club? Do you think? Sorry, what did you what did you say there? Well, what, 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 what's yeah, well, the fact that you know you guys have a coaching staff in place, it's not being announced quite yet. We wanted to right. you know, let let everything right. be focused on you. But as a GM, yeah. what's what's your first step? Well, I mean, obviously, I have to take advantage of uh, of the games that uh, are still going on right now. So I've been mm-hmm. watching quite a bit of lacrosse, um, you know, and then preparing my schedule for scouting for the for the summer. Also, and and so um, that's kind of order number one, as well as assembling my team, you know, mm-hmm. on, the, on, the, on the staffing side of things. And and uh, as Steve as you, as Steve mentioned, to you, we probably won't make that announcement until the NLL season's over with. But um, yeah, yeah, that's that's probably on my on my first on my to do list is just getting out there and, and getting familiar with players and um, and and doing some scouting. Obviously, with your work with the Arrows, you have a, a bit of an idea of how to look at players and evaluate players, but obviously it becomes a little different now that it's the National Lacrosse League. Do you find yourself looking at players differently now? I do. I do. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I think, uh, well, I mean, it's always kind of been part of my job at the, at the Hill Academy right. um, to, to recruit players and, and identify players that we, we thought would be a good fit for our program. So, and that's that's the stuff that I enjoy the most. So I, I'd say I always kind of look looked looked at players. Obviously not when I'm playing, um, but you know when I was watching games, I always kind of try and pick up little things from other players as well. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely is a different perspective, though. You're right. You guys are going to be in a, a very interesting Western Division starting next year. Uh, a little bit different than the West. You know, it's a little more run and run, not your typical bang and hat kind of Eastern Division that we've seen in the years past, but the National Lacrosse League is changing to a more athletic style of game. How do you want to build your San Diego Seals club? Agreed. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more, Teddy. I think um, that's the way I see things trending as well is, uh, you know, just we're able to attract, um, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I, I think we're able to attract today's the best, some of the best athletes in the world. And, mm-hmm. and I think you see that in, in the cross on the floor, um, Specifically with certain teams, for sure, um, and you know, definitely we want we want an exciting team that again, you know, plays the right way, and we want to build a, a culture where we're competitive and we're committed, and um, and we can play a good good team game. But but you're right, we we need athletes, and and we want we want um, guys that can can come in and push the pace that way, and uh, you know, guys that are young and hungry, but also guys that have experience playing that way as mm-hmm. well. So, um, you know, I, I agree with you. And I, I, I can tell, and obviously our style of game is going to depend on the players that we, we acquire from a coach's perspective. Yeah. Uh, that being said, you know, we're going to try and trend in the direction uh, to where this, we think that, that the game is going overall. You've been part of, of clubs that have moved. You've been in New York. You've been in Orlando. Now coming out to the mm-hmm. West Coast to, to San Diego. What can you build on of your past experiences of being a part of a new club? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I didn't. I, I, again, I thought a lot. I've thought a lot about my experience in New York and Orlando since since I've started having conversations with Steve. And uh, the biggest thing, from my perspective, is you know, I don't really see any negatives. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing, the thing that that really surprised me when I was picked up by New York at that time was just and and it actually made me a stronger player as well. It's just interacting with guys that you know from non-traditional lacrosse hotbeds you know mm-hmm. and i think i think you know it was it was you know we're going to have the opportunity to do the same thing you know obviously we have some constraints and some restrictions in terms of players that are available for us to select uh, and bring on board but uh, i think that's an opportunity for us i really do uh, in terms of again um building it you know from the from the ground up with guys that, that, mm-hmm. that may, may not have had a chance earlier on um but could be you know, successful NLL players for a long time. Um, I, was, yeah. I, I was speaking with Paul Day in Rochester this week, and obviously he's sort of your, your coming in counterpart uh, with Philadelphia there. And I asked him the same question of what would you prefer, number one in the expansion or number one in the entry draft? Did he answer you? He did. He did. Yeah. Well, I think as it stands right now, I mean, again, I think, uh, you know, there's it really, really depends. Um, but I think, you know, the entry draft, uh, the, the first overall pick in the entry draft is probably something that we're pretty, pretty interested in acquiring. That being said, mm-hmm. there's going to be some guys in the, in the expansion draft that are available that we're really, really excited about potentially. Yeah. Right. So, um, but I think the entry draft pick, you know, um, is going to, it has, has a lot of value and there's a lot of great guys that are available in that, in that draft as well. And, and yeah. I can pretty much oh, tell you yeah. Paul's answer was pretty mu- pretty much the same. So you guys are you guys are on the same path already. Um, <laughs> now, now that now that you are, you're in this role and, and you've been able to learn from some great people, from Terry Sanderson to to guys throughout like Eddie Como and and some of the great players that, and coaches that have been in this league. Have you reached out to any of those guys? Have, have you talked to anybody now that this news is kind of out to to pick some brains and, and get some tips and pointers? I haven't had a chance to yet, uh, just because uh, you know I, I wanted to wait until after the announcement was made. But uh, I certainly will be. And you're right; I'm, I'm very fortunate um, to have played with, with, and for so many great leaders, so many great people that have um, you know helped me along in my career and, and made me who I am today. So um, I, I'm definitely going to be making some phone calls uh, to some people that I really respect and 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 really want to gain some advice from for sure and and uh i certainly don't know it all so um you know i i, I will be doing that in in the very near future leading up to the season no doubt how hard is it going to be to convince brody to come play out west with you so i you know i can't comment on that <laughs> uh, hey see you're learning you're learning you know these ropes already <laughs> don't try and put me in this situation, <laughs> i wouldn't do that to i you, love man. you but i know i wouldn't do that to you um so what does this mean for you with Six Nations and the Hill Academy? Are you still fully involved with them? Do you see yourself mm-hmm. moving up west at all? Well, I mean, my first priority is is my family and the, and the Hill Academy, of course, that that, um, that we've that we've built, and and we think that the best is yet to come for our program there. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm I still play a, a, a role. I, I, I think a pretty significant role there, and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I want to be there to support my family, continue to support my family. So we're going to take it one step at a time, and obviously I'm going to be a lot busier. Um, so yeah, uh, in terms of travel, um, but you know they're they're very supportive and excited for me. I would say, you know, the arrows are pretty excited for me too. I wouldn't I wouldn't be in this role if it wasn't through. Uh, I don't think the experience that I gained with the arrows over the last three years and. They were the first ones to give me a chance to be a be a head coach uh, of a junior A team, and I've learned so much from from being a part of that organization. So, but their feedback was very similar. They they're again, it shows the, the people they are, but they're, they're they're very classy people, and they want what 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 uh, they think is best for me, and they're willing to support me how, uh, along the way. So, um, you know, I'm very grateful for that. There he is, the new head coach and general manager of the San Diego Seals, Patrick Merrill. Patty also works at the Hill Academy and works with the Six Nations Arrows, the junior team from 
uh, the Canadian junior ranks. So he is going to be a very busy man over the next few days, weeks, and months and years as he gets set to take on his big role uh, in the Nash lacrosse league. From player to the front office and behind the bench, all in one swoop. And what a great opportunity for Patrick Merrill. I like that he already knew not to talk about recruiting his brother. Doesn't want to be called for tampering. But I think he's going to do a wonderful, wonderful job. He he is very well respected throughout the lacrosse world. Um, he is going to put a wonderful coaching staff together. As mentioned, uh, the staff has been picked. Uh, they are just not announcing it yet as uh, it appears many or some of their coaching staff is involved uh, with some few uh, National Cross League teams. So um, maybe you can maybe put some pieces together. Think of who you might think that Pat Merrill might go after, but they probably won't announce their coaching staff until the National Cross season is done because they just don't want to bring out any conflict or put people into any weird positions, uh, much like Paul Day is doing in Philadelphia. Best of luck. Uh, to two great guys, Paul Day and Pat Merrill. We talked about in the interview with Pat that I was able to catch up with Paul Day at the Nighthawks alumni event on Saturday night down in Roch Vegas. And as I said, I had asked Paul, what would you rather have, first pick in the entry draft or first pick in the expansion draft? And both had the exact same answers. The value that you can have with that number one overall pick is much more or much greater than the value of the number one pick in the expansion draft because you can do more with that number one overall pick in the in the entry draft. And there's just so much more talent. And being able to have a bona fide superstar at number one will go a long way for a club. So uh, the coin toss um, will be in a few months' time. And I'm excited to see how both of these general managers um, build their teams, not just from a coaching standpoint, but from a personnel standpoint. And look at what some of the performances some of these guys are out there doing. And there are going to be some interesting options out there, for especially in the expansion part of things. We all know how teams are going to be able to protect players. We obviously don't know who's going to be protected, but there's going to be a lot of goaltenders left unprotected. Frank Chiliano could be one. Angus Goodleaf could be another. Steve Fryer, all three guys, proving that they can be top-level goaltenders in the National Lacrosse League. So I'm excited for next year. I'm really excited just for this offseason to see everything that goes down with these two new clubs. I'm also really looking forward to see where the league goes next because that is a big deal. The growth of this game and the future of this product is going to be highly examined over the next five years. This is a very key time for the National Lacrosse League, I believe. But that's neither here nor there. I'm just I'm super excited for Pat Merrill. Um and, and really excited to see him flourish in his new role. Uh and being in San Diego, I think it's going to be great for him. And if he and his family move out there, even better. But as he said, family first, the Hill Academy second. And then with the Arrows and the Seals, he's going to be a very, very busy man. So before we get out of here, let's kind of focus our attention to the National Lacrosse League East. And if you haven't read Evan's column this week, uh, you should probably go check it out over at Lax All-Stars. Uh, he does a great job of sort of breaking down some of the tiebreaker scenarios that are out there in the Eastern Division just because it is so tight, as mentioned, a game and a half just separating first place through fifth place. And when Rochester and Buffalo are tied, Georgia and Toronto are tied, and then you have New England just sitting down there at the bottom, there's a lot to be decided. And... When you look at tiebreakers, it's head-to-head, it's within the division, and all things can get jumbled up from each week, and you really never know how it's going to happen. Like this week alone, Toronto and Georgia, if both whoever wins that game is going to gain a half game on both Rochester and Buffalo, so we're going to have a three-way tie at the top. We're going to have three teams at eight and seven. We're going to have a team 
at seven and eight and a team possibly at six and eight. We could have three eight and sevens and two seven and eights. It is going to be a wild, frantic finish to the end. And there are some key games coming up in the schedule that's going to make a lot of those tiebreakers a little more interesting. Week 19, that's just two weeks away. Toronto and Rochester are going to square off in a head-to-head battle in Toronto. That's going to be a massive contest for both of those clubs. The following week, New England, Rochester go toe-to-toe. Buffalo and Toronto go toe-to-toe. And then in the final week of the regular season, we all know what's coming. That's right. Buffalo and Rochester, mm -hmm. Georgia and New England, uh uh-huh. It's going to happen. So if you're in the East right now, you cannot afford to have a bad quarter. You can't even afford to have a bad half. If you are not playing your best lacrosse right now, you are in trouble. Because right now, as it stands, Rochester, Buffalo, Georgia are your three East playoff teams. Rochester would be first. They'd get the bye. Georgia would visit Buffalo in the semis. The winner would play the Nighthawks in Roch Vegas. We know the West. We just don't know who's going to finish first or second. That could be decided Saturday night. Nothing will be decided in the NLL East for at least two more weeks. And as Evan pointed out in his article, it could go all the way down to the final week depending on who wins games. So buckle up. We also have a couple races in the scoring charts. Mark Matthews and Dane Smith separated by just four points. Joey Rez. Just a few points back, sitting on 85. He's six points back at Dane Smith. Kevin Crowley has a three-goal lead over Robert Church and a five-goal lead over Curtis Dixon. Crowley's sitting on 41, having played 14 games. Mark Matthews keeps saying his name a whole lot, along with Dane Smith. Matthews leads the league in assists with 62. Smith just four goals back. Ryan Banesh leads the league in power play goals. Matthews leads the league in power play assists. This has been one of those years where we don't have anybody just blowing things out of the water. And I remember when Dane Smith went on that absolute tear, I said, that was going to be the anomaly. We are not going to see someone absolutely blow up the charts like Dane Smith did that year. We are going to see more guys compacted around the 110-100 mark then we will 130. We're going to have some 100-point guys this year. Unfortunately, Sean Evans won't be able to get his sixth straight 100-point season as it doesn't look like he's going to be able to find himself another 30 or so points in the final few games for the Buffalo Bandits. He could do it. If anybody can do it, Sean Evans could do it. And he's starting to find a little bit of rhythm with the Buffalo Bandits offense now. He had seven points this past weekend. Uh, He put up 13 in back-to-back wins against his former club. So he's starting to find his role within that offense. He's realizing that he may not be the number one shooter, but one of the things Sean Evans does better than most is pass the ball. And he's got 10 assists in his last two games, so I think he's becoming a little more comfortable in that Bandits offense. I'm excited, man. I hope you guys are too because we are getting down to the nitty-gritty. And unfortunately, just three games this weekend. And what's even more unfortunate for the National Lacrosse League is the two games on Sunday will have to go head-to-head with Masters Sunday and WrestleMania. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, Teddy, really? WrestleMania? Yeah, WrestleMania. There is going to be millions and millions and millions of eyeballs on the Masters Sunday and WrestleMania. And it's unfortunate that Calgary, New England, and Toronto and Georgia have to play those Sunday games. Especially down in Georgia where the the Masters is. So it's going to be a tough Sunday crowd-wise, I think. But we're both going to, we are going to see 
great lacrosse games on Sunday. I'm looking forward to it. That's going to do it. I'm a bit under the weather today. Uh, I just don't really feel my mind working as clean as it should. Um, of course, there's all the stuff with Team Canada uh, going on and the threat of a possible world championships in Netanya, Israel, that is going to be without the defending champions. I don't really want to get too far into that just because there's so many different sides. I'm on the sides of the players. I want the best for the players. Yes, they should have insurance. Yes, they there should be monies coming in. There should be charitable benefits through sponsors and all that stuff. But there's just so many other factors going in and hearsay and people trying to pull the direction of the story their way that I'm just going to say I'm on the sides of the players. And I hope for the best outcome for the Canadian players, for the world championships, for everything that's going on. Because a world championships without the Canadians is second to a world championships without the Iroquois. So let's hope everything gets resolved. If you want more information on the world champions things, you can check out Evan's blog. You can check out Stephen Stamp, Matt Kinnear's article on Inside the Cross. They did a wonderful job trying to break things down. But I'm just kind of trying to stay away from that. Other than that, all you want, nonstop lacrosse action right here on Off the Crossbar. My name's Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Again, three games, one Saturday to Sunday. Enjoy them. Take a friend. Take a friend. Take two. Because it's just more fun that way. Big shout-out and thanks to my man, Pat Merrill. Congratulations on the new position. I know you will be as successful as you were as a player. Just don't wear your elbow pads because those are dangerous. Other than that, we're out of here. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Be excellent to each other.